This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting Corporation and Supertalk Mississippi Media. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joe Lott Sami, your co-host, joined by economist Natasha Serdorch, co-founder of International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable guests include leading voices from business, government, media, energy, technology, healthcare, and the broad policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, and Spotify. Visit America's Roundtable at americasrt.com. americasrt.com. Follow us on Facebook, America's Roundtable, and Twitter at americasrt. We invite donors and advertisers to reach us by visiting our website, americasrt.com. Welcome to America's Roundtable. Welcome to America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. This weekend on America's Roundtable, we are delighted to be joined by Steve Hankey, Professor of Applied Economics at Johns Hopkins University. He's one of the world's leading experts on hyperinflation and is known as the Money Doctor. He served on President Reagan's Council of Economic Advisors and has been an advisor to five foreign heads of state and four foreign ministers of economy and finance. He has been awarded honorary doctorate degrees from seven foreign universities and is an honorary professor at four foreign universities. In 2020, Sir Steve was knighted, a knight of the order of the flag. It is truly our great honor to have you join us again on America's Roundtable. Welcome, Professor Hankey. Welcome, Professor Hankey. Great to be with you. Professor Hankey, when you look back at the 2022 midterm elections, what can be said of America's election? toward voting for the status quo and perhaps missteps in engaging citizens by those who advocated for personal liberty and fiscal responsibility at the state and federal levels. Well, the the elections turned out to be, the midterm elections we're speaking of, turned out to be interesting because we're in sort of an economic turmoil, if you will, very high inflation, the prospect staring us in the face of a coming recession next year. Just a lot of turmoil, shall we say, and uncertainty. But those factors didn't play into the election at all. Economics had virtually nothing to do with the election. And I think it's fair to say that the Republicans, in in reality, were trounced, trounced, wiped out completely. And uh, had a very poor showing relative to where they what they should have done, and the reason for that is that the Republican Party really had no coherent ideas. They they never presented any kind of game plan, and any any ideas that they had about how they were going to turn the economy around, stabilize things, get rid of the uncertainty that we have, and and change course, shall we say they. They just had no, nothing to offer, and, and they got trounced. That's kind of surprising because usually economics has a very large role to play in the outcome of elections, particularly midterm elections. But, it, but, it, but it, surprisingly, I, I would say this results will go down in history as being one of the most anomalous elections in history because of the fact that there, there are a lot of economic troubles, but they didn't show up on the radar screen. People didn't vote that way at all. And I think one reason, big reason for that, is the Republicans have nothing to offer. 
and the biggest foreign policy area, the Republicans are all on board with this war against Russia. Mm. The Republicans are just as bad as the Democrats. So why vote for the Republicans? I mean, right. that, that's basically the, the long and the short of it. I think it's been underreported. The Republicans really were whacked. Right, which brings us also to a misery index. Uh, you produced an international version of the misery index. Misery index was introduced by the late economist Arthur Ocken. He added the unemployment rate to the inflation rate and measured how miserable Americans are. Uh, the misery index has been increasing in America, led by higher inflation rate. Dr. Hanke, based on your international version of the misery index, you add the prime bank lending rate to the unemployment and inflation rate and subtract the GDP growth rate. Uh, the higher the prime bank rate, the higher is the cost of borrowing in the economy, which makes America more miserable. The real GDP growth makes Americans less miserable. I think that for such a time as this, your misery index better encapsulates the level of misery in America, not just for the purpose of the international comparison, Although you said in your latest misery index for 2021, America was more miserable than 42 countries. Uh, Dr. Hanke, what is your current misery index? And could you kindly share with our listeners your findings and the predictions for the future? Okay, now, number one, that I haven't calculated the misery index for 2022 because the year isn't really over yet. And I, I usually do that. It, it takes... Towards the end of January, we get all the numbers from, you know, we, ha we have over 140 countries. And, and by the time you get all the data and everything, it's the end of January. But the interesting thing about the misery index, and it, it does relate a little bit to the election outcome. The things that are bad and make you more miserable that are in the index are, one, inflation. Well, inflation is, is high. So that's, that's, that's gotten worse in the United States. The, the other thing is unemployment, and unemployment hasn't changed very much, and it's stayed very low, actually. It's very low in the United States. And the third aspect is the credit market. That's the bank lending rate, and, of course, that's gotten much worse. It, it's, it costs now your credit card or, or short-term loans, if you're taking those out, are costing a lot more than they did a year ago. So we have those three things, inflation worse unemployment very low and not changed much and credit harder to get and more expensive and then we subtract one good thing to get the ultimate misery index and that's the growth rate in gdp well growth rate in gdp slowed down just a little bit so so that that doesn't help all that much so the question is and this, uh, there was a Wall Street Journal article on this misery index a, a week or so ago. And, and one interesting thing about that article, and it's prompted me to rethink the misery index and put a higher weight on in the unemployment. Because out of all of those things, what, what really is important, do I have a job or do I not have a job? That, that's more important than if I have a job and inflation's going up and I'm worried about inflation, or I have a job and the credit costs are going up and so forth. So I'm going to change that and weight that unemployment figure double what all the other things are weighted. All the other things will get a weight of one 
and unemployment, whatever the unemployment rate is, it would get a weight of two. Now, what's, what's this all mean? Forget the arithmetic and so forth. It means that the unemployment rate is, in fact, very important, and unemployment is very low. And that's why I, I think a lot of people discounted problems they're having with inflation, problems they're having with mm, credit, right. problems they're having because their income isn't really growing. That's the GDP part of the thing. They have a job. Right. And in fact, jobs are very plentiful. We just got a jobs report today. It was very strong. There, there are a lot of jobs available. It turns out... <laughs> People don't want to take the jobs in the United States. They'd rather sit home and get welfare. That's one That's one reason why there's this kind of gap between jobs offered and unemployment. The ratio between jobs offered and unemployment is very high in the United States. There, there are a lot of jobs around. People people just don't want to take them. And, there, and the unemployed people just don't want to take the jobs. Right. This is a problem. Of course, it's a big problem. It's always been a problem in Europe because they have a much greater welfare states. And, and you can basically live, not work and live off the state for a, a long extended period of time in Europe. So as a result, a lot of people just stay home and don't work. Dr. Henke, uh, what America's legislators did not accomplish, the French Prime Minister may have. In the most recent visit uh, by French Prime Minister Macron to the White House, he made it clear to President Biden that the subsidies to U.S. manufacturers and tax incentives for electric vehicles and other products that are assembled in North America discriminate against French companies and violate World Trade Organization rules. The European Union, South Korea, Japan and the UK expressed the same criticism. These subsidies and tax incentives were incorporated in the de deceitfully called Inflation Reduction Act, which increases government spending and by default leads to higher inflation and not inflation reduction. Uh, Dr. Hanke, what are your thoughts? The bottom line thought is we wouldn't have nearly as many electric vehicles around if we weren't getting huge subsidies to buy, to buy them. But that's one obvious thing. But the other thing, the more important thing is that this shows that the U.S. economy has become more and more what I call an interventionist economy. The idea that it's a free market economy is pretty much a joke. The, the government's got its hands on everything. You just look at the House just passed a, a bill that will make it illegal for the railroad workers to go on strike. So what, what's this mean? This means politics, politicians, Washington, they have their finger in every pie you can imagine. My view on the, on the railway workers, you've got railway companies and railway unions let them fight it out and figure out where, where they're going with their contracts and what terms they're going to have and so forth. And if, if they decide to go on strike, so, so be it. I mean, let them go on strike. They have to go back to a 1926 law and fish that out to get this thing settled and, and, and give, by the way, I saw in there that as part of the sweetener on the thing, the railway workers will get one week, seven days paid vacation. I mean, right. That's that's a pretty good gift. That's what I we were talking about subsidies. It, it, isn't that a subsidy? Right. right. Uh, Professor Henke, would you agree with this uh, analysis? Uh, when America subsidizes electric vehicles, for example, 
America's taxpayers are giving money benefiting a private company and those individuals who can afford to buy electric vehicles in the first place. And when these vehicles are exported, we as American taxpayers are also giving foreign individual buyers money to buy a car produced by a private company in America. I, I completely agree with everything you just said. Now, the, the one thing, the Macron thing is a little bit hypocritical in the sense that the French are subsidizing everything under the sun. Agriculture. The, the, si the size of the state in France, about 56% of GDP is accounted for by the French government spending. So, so the idea that, you know, the French are clean on the subsidy thing is a joke. I mean, they, they've, they almost invented subsidies. You agree with this analysis, and do America's legislators understand that? And if yes, why did they still vote for it? Well, I'm not going to make any judgment about what legislators understood or not. And in many cases, they clearly don't even know what they're voting for. How, how could you know what you're voting for if you have a bill with 10,000 pages in it and you have to place a vote? Now, tell me how many of those congressmen, congresswomen, or senators have actually read in any of those bills that they're voting on. So what, what they know about what they're doing is a little bit of a stretch, shall we say. Absolutely. And Professor Hankey, a recent piece titled The Pitfalls of Unsupervised Aid to Ukraine, and it states massive aid with limited oversight will lead to increased corruption, the corrosion of Ukraine's democracy, and a hollow victory. And Professor Hankey, you recently posted a very enlightening graph with a message which brought to our attention the amount of aid being sent to Ukraine. And you stated, I quote, if President Biden's $37.7 billion aid package to Ukraine passes, the U.S. will have spent more on Ukraine than Russia spent on its military in 2021, unquote. Now, if Biden and the Democrats in the House and the Senate pass this huge spending bill for Ukraine, the fledgling nation will get $91.7 billion. Now, to put that all in perspective, you highlighted the 2021 military budgets for the following countries. India's military budget for 2021 was at $76 billion, compared to the $91 billion given by U.S. taxpayers to Ukraine. The U.K. spent only $68 billion. Russia spent $66 billion, France $56 billion, and so forth. Professor Hankey, shouldn't legislators on Capitol Hill review how these U.S. funds are being spent, and would it not be prudent to establish a strategic oversight group, a principal group of leaders to monitor where in the world these funds are going to? Obviously, you want some uh, auditing and accountability, but but. That said, we, we had this with Afghanistan. We had heavy monitoring and, and regular reports on Afghanistan. And that, that, that money that we're talking about, trillions of dollars, went, it was just money down a rat hole. And, and with Ukraine, we are dealing with the second most corrupt country in, in Europe. So it has endemic corruption. This is before the war started. And they're telltale signs, things brought up by the Finns, for example, of a huge amount of the armaments going into 
Ukraine and they end up going going in and coming out in the black market very rapidly. So this is a clearly a Afghan type of black hole in that sense. And my my own judgment is that even if it's audited and monitored, it, it's not going to make any difference. We knew about all of the all of the money that was that was being pocketed in corrupt ways in Afghanistan. This was known and reported on regularly, and no one did anything about it. You're, you're talking about, here's the problem with, with politics in Washington, D.C. You've got people making decisions that are not accountable for the cost and losses that they impose. So they, they make a decision to do something. And, and whatever it is, it, well, let's say it bombs out. It's, it turns out to be a disaster. Hmm. Are they held to account for that? Of course not. If you're in a private business and a profit and loss operation, it's just like this cryptocurrency outfit that went uh, under in, in uh, the Bahamas. What happens? They're in a profit and loss situation. They, they, they have huge liabilities and and virtually no assets they're bankrupt they're going out of business that's what happens to you if you make bad decisions in the private market you get weeded out and you you're forced into bankruptcy and politics that is not the case also deja vu yugoslavia as well with uh with the black market and weapons coming and getting out of the country and uh, some of the same players actually are now in Ukraine, which we will cover in the days to come. Professor Hanke, you also uh, actually referred to interventionist policy in, in America. And we are moving away from the free market economy and the rule of law. And we are slowly converging with communist Eastern Europe, where an authoritarian party controlled, and in some places still controls, judiciary, media, and economy, which keeps the authoritarian party in power indefinitely. Uh, that kind of regime operates through quid pro quo, outright bribery, and having in power compromised individuals who are loyal to each other instead of being accountable to the voters as a government of, by, and for the people. Uh, Professor Hanke, from your wealth of experience in advising reformers in Eastern Europe and beyond, what would your advice be to America's voters and legislators? How do we get back to the free enterprise economy, which is based on the rule of law? Well, this is a problem uh, because I, I think that the trend is, is going in the opposite direction. And, and if you look, for example, at the measures of world economic freedom by the Fraser Institute, for example, the, the U.S. is sinking down. What you said is correct. You, you can measure this. It's, in other words, it, it, you're not just offering an opinion. There are actually measurements. You, you can see it, free, the free market aspect going down, 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 down. And, and you read the press and you talk to people. And in general, my assessment is that the trend is, is moving away from liberty, free markets, free market system, and, and more public opinion is in support of kind of this, the government's going to fix everything, the government, whatever the government touches is going to be fixed and so forth. This makes it very hard to, 
to make the case to the public that there are great benefits from having a vibrant private sector that doesn't have much political interference involved in the thing. So so it's an educational thing. I think it's a long-term thing. If you go back when, for example, when President Reagan took office in 1980, the tide was turning the other way, you see. And, and it turned out the public was, was open to the idea of less government, more free enterprise, more liberty, and so forth. And it turned out that Reagan was, was a good educator, a, a good salesman, and it got pushed along and, and even continued, by the way, through the Clinton administration in the 1990s. I mean, Clinton with, with a divided government, that's the one thing we need. We need a, a good divided government. The White House has to be in one party and the Congress in another party like it was in the 1990s. And, and remember, you had Newt Gingrich was the Speaker of the House and Bill Clinton was was the president of the United States, and and they got things done. And 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 the economy, by the way, in the 1990s did very well under that arrangement. We we just don't have that now. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm I think for those of us who are interested in liberty and free markets, we, we really have our work cut out for us because we we have a Mm-hmm. A young population mm-hmm. that's been schooled in public schools to a large extent, and even the private schools are just as bad as the public schools in this regard. And and they've pretty much been indoctrinated mm-hmm. with, I, I think, a lot of false ideas about about economics. So that, that's, that's kind of a, a depressing note, I know, to be injecting in the thing, but I think I, I'm a realist, so... If, if you don't have the public opinion on your side, you, you, you got a big problem. And I don't think the public opinion is on our side. Look at the midterm elections. Mm, right. if, if public opinion really was interested in free markets, liberty, and so forth, the Republicans probably would have done fairly well, even though the Republicans did not have an agenda mm-hmm. that was free market in any way. I, I, I saw no free market agenda being offered up by the Republicans. They, they were silent on the economy. They grumbled a little bit about inflation, and th- that was about all, actually, now that I think about it. They need to have more economists in Congress. Well, that, that's true. I mean, again, going back to some of the good old days, we had senators like Phil Graham, who's a, that's right. prof- he was a professor of economics at, at Texas A&M, and a good one. So that, that probably would help. But again, you're talking about small numbers, but the, if the quality is good, like Graham, for example, he made, he made a big impact. That's for sure. It, it, it's a quality thing. You, you have a lot of people in Congress. The question is, who's going to be out in front taking a leadership role who can educate people and, and make the argument? You, you've got to win, you've got to make the argument. Absolutely. Right, right, and right. I think you've said it so well. You need principal leaders that will take that stand and be able to educate and inform individuals. And we're certainly lacking that as we see the current state of our House and the Senate. And uh, we don't have those bold leaders like you've mentioned about at that time, then Senator Phil Graham and others that were really great proponents of fiscal responsibility and offered solutions. And they did it so well. 
Well, yeah, you, you had the Graham-Rudman uh, Act, uh, for example, controlling the budget, but um, among other things. But the, 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 the big thing is most of the politicians now, you listen to them, and it's a lot of hot air. If you listen to them being interviewed, they've got their talking points. It's a lot of gas in most cases, and it's a lot of personalities. They, they, they'll talk about personality. So go after uh, somebody on the other side of the aisle on a personal basis. There, there are very few of them talking about policy. That's right. And, and if they do talk about policy, it will, it will be in such a superficial way. For example, the Republicans talking about auditing the money going into the, Ukraine, the, the war with Russia, because it, it is a war with Russia. And they say, no more blank check. Well, that, that's a slogan. <laughs> they, they're signing the blank checks. The Republicans are signing the blank checks. Right, right, right. So, and, and then the question I would ask them, okay, you're going to do an audit. Well, what are you going to do with that? That's right. right. Yeah. What, what, what if you show that 50% of all the armaments going into Ukraine are ending up at the black market? What are you going to do about it? That's right, the thing. Right. Yeah. And, and, and they're going to be radio silent. Right. Absolutely. Also, when you're thinking about the free market, uh, who is opposed to free market? Usually monopolies and large companies that want to keep certain special interests. And those are the big donors. So we have that conundrum of incentives that are placed in a wrong way. And to look the, at the whole picture We'll have to do piecemeal reforms in every area. And, and I must add that uh, what you did just recently was not just commendable, but extraordinary when you had this conversation with John Stewart. And you alluded to the fact about how important it is to have leaders that will inform and educate individuals. I think that one hour segment with John Stewart, you clearly articulated so much of that which probably the vast majority of Americans have not even heard of. And so we certainly appreciate your leadership in getting that message out and, and, and engaging with an influencer like John Stewart. And uh, for those listeners of ours, uh, we would just encourage them to just check out this conversation with John Stewart and Professor Steve Hankey. It's an extraordinary conversation. I must say, I, I enjoyed that immensely because Stuart's smart and, I, and he was prepared and, and we, had, we had a good productive discussion, very good productive discussion. The main focus of that was how is inflation caused and, and how do you get rid of it? So it was the topic of the day. It still is the topic of the day. And there's only one cause of inflation and that's the Federal Reserve Bank in Washington, D.C., for, forget all of these other excuses and alleged causes. Mm -hmm. It's excess money. Too much government spending and government spending that is financed ultimately by the Federal Reserve. That's That's been the problem we've had since COVID. Absolutely. Right. And how would you address the, the issue of monopolies going against free market ideas, basically, and being entrenched? Let's get very concrete about this. We, we've had a big brouhaha over cryptocurrencies. That's, that's been a big thing in the news. Now, uh, cryptocurrencies are, are not regulated. Mm. They're off the reservation. In fact, they're issuing securities like an investment bank. So the Securities and Exchange Commission has plenty of regulations that handle that. They operate like banks. 
We have lots of banking regulations that regulate banks, but cryptocurrencies aren't regulated. Why not? They're not regulated because they have lobbyists pouring millions of dollars into Capitol Hill, making phony arguments that somehow they're innovative, unique. They need they need either special regulation or no regulation. Absolute rubbish, all of it. But it, it's the cryptocurrency lobbyists buying and selling the politicians. Mm -hmm. That's that's why they aren't regulated. People are people are wondering why in the world they aren't regulated like a bank or like an investment bank. Well, that's that's the reason. And we're talking about huge amounts of money that are going into lobbying. So that that's one very concrete example. And on this car subsidy, by the way, you can you bet your bottom dollar there's plenty of lobbying going on uh, on the electric vehicle front to get subsidies. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. indeed. So we need to fix it. <laughs> yeah, we need to fix it. it. You know very well, anything you subsidize, you get more of exactly. it. Right. And so, so, the, so the lobbyists who make electric cars, they want more, mm -hmm. not less. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And a final thought that you have as we look toward 2023 and what we all can do to certainly advance the, uh, the significance of uh, freedom and free markets. I think the best thing to do, go to the YouTube and watch a few YouTube interviews with Milton Friedman or Tom Sowell, or if you want to get a little heavier, you can go to Friedrich von Hayek. Those would be three. I, I would take Friedman, Sowell, and Hayek. On YouTube, there there are a lot of YouTube things that are actually very good. I mean, I I watch these things myself regularly, and I find them quite edifying. Right, Absolutely. they should be introduced in curricula, in in <laughs> schools, basically. Yeah, that lots of luck with that. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Professor Steve Hankey, we truly appreciate your candid uh, response, your prudent counsel on some of these key issues of our day. We thank you so much for joining us on America's Roundtable. Professor Steve Hankey is Professor of Applied Economics at Johns Hopkins University, and we would certainly encourage our listeners to seek out Professor Hankey's videos online, his materials in the Wall Street Journal, and other prominent media groups. Professor Hankey, thank you so much for joining us and we wish you and your family a Merry Christmas. Thank you so much, Professor Hankey. Well, Joel and Natasha, a, a Merry Christmas to both of you and a Happy New Year. Thank you. Merry right. Christmas and Happy New Year. Thank you. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting Corporation and Supertalk Mississippi Media. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joel Adinsami, your co-host, joined by economist Natasha Serdorch, co-founder of International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable guests include leading voices from business, government, media, energy, technology, healthcare, and the broad policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, and Spotify. Visit America's Roundtable at americasrt.com. americasrt.com. Follow us on Facebook, America's Roundtable, and Twitter at americasrt. We invite donors and advertisers to reach us by visiting our website, americasrt.com. Welcome to America's Roundtable.